0: Welcome to the Bova UK podcast where we will be discussing diseases from diagnosis through to management. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. Hi James, how are you?
1: I'm good Lizzie, how are you doing?
0: Very well, so you're the head of ophthalmology at Dick White Vets in Newmarket, that must keep you fairly busy.
1: Yeah, it does. We've got a big team there now. So the, the service started back in 2013, and now we're we're a 10 vet strong service in ophthalmology. So we're, we're pretty busy there.
0: Wow, gosh, that is busy. And I, I noticed you do a bit with University of Nottingham. Is is that something that still goes on, or has that been fairly quiet with COVID? The
1: University of Nottingham students still come and, and visit us on rotations. So we're seeing those, and they're quite keen to come to ophthalmology. So and we're it's a pleasure to have them. So. They're always receptive to learning new things, and we like to teach them.
0: You've got an amazing setup there, so it must be an experience for them to come and and see Dick White as it is, isn't it?
1: I think so. I think it's a really great opportunity. It's not something I had when I was at vet school, being able to you know go and see practice in a multidisciplinary referral hospital. So I think they get a, a lot out of it.
0: Mm. Now, it's been a while. So you were actually our very first Bova Scholars uh, webinar speaker back in 2019. So it's, it's exciting to have you back. We're, we're going to be chatting about KCS in dogs and um, I'm assuming it mainly occurs in dogs, KCS?
1: Pretty much exclusively. uh, To be honest with you, it's very rare that we'll diagnose um, dry eye in a cat or a horse, for example. So we can pretty much think it is uh, exclusively being a a canine problem in our species. (laughs)
0: Maybe you could give an introduction to KCS, and I'm, I'm purposely not saying it's full name. I'm, I'm going to leave that one to you because it leaves me with a bit of a tongue twister. So maybe you could just tell us a bit about KCS and, and
1: sure. define what it is. Yeah, so KCS, the acronym, um, stands for keratoconjunctivitis sicker. And if you break down the words, what they mean is cornea and conjunctiva and being dry. So dry oculus surface, really. And uh, we tend to just call this disease dry eye as that kind of encapsulates it all. But uh, the true real scientific name is is keratoconjunctivitis sicker. But we can say KCS if you'd like for the rest of this talk.
0: <laughs> Please. It'll make my life a lot easier. <laughs> and obviously, we've just said it's mainly in dogs. So you'd never see this in cats because you, you quite like dealing with eye problems in cats as well I noticed you have written a book in the past on felines so but we'll we'll stick with just the dogs here so what clinical signs are you likely to see or is the pet owner likely to see with KCS?
1: So the clinical signs will vary mainly as a result of how long the problem's been going on and also to the extent of the dryness so how few uh, tears are are left. As I mentioned before, it stands for dry ocular surface disease, conjunctiva and cornea. So the signs we're going to see are going to relate to diseases of of those parts of the eye. So conjunctivitis and corneal disease, which uh, can be ulceration, vascularization, pigmentation, discharge, and associated discomfort as well. And as I said, the signs can really vary depending on the onset and the duration of disease. A very acute onset dry eye can uh, be profoundly and acutely painful and be associated with quite rapidly progressing ulceration, which can even lead to corneal rupture and perforation, which obviously is very damaging to the eye and and risks losing the eye.
0: Obviously, blindness as well could be a massive problem as, for the pet owner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as the disease progresses, and, and we get into a chronic situation, we start seeing chronic changes. So, chronic corneal fibrosis and pigmentation, so scarring and vascularization, which are going to cause visual deficits. So, as well, so not only you know is the disease uncomfortable, but it it can be blinding if not treated appropriately.
0: If A dog is presented and it's got some kind of ocular surface disease would the vet instantly think to check for KCS in this situation because obviously you don't want this to run on into a stage where you've got a blind dog or you've lost the eye so would they be testing initially if they're just not sure?
1: I think most in most situations the diagnosis is reasonably straightforward. So the owner typically would uh, bring the dog along because they'd notice a sore eye or a discharge from the eye. They would be the presenting signs. And with any sign of ocular surface disease, we would always, the vet, to perform a schirmer tear test reading, unless it wasn't safe to do so. For example, if there was a deep ulcer and and the eye was particularly fragile. So so yes, it is readily uh, diagnosable with schirmer tear test readings.
0: So tell me a bit more about Shema Tear Tester. I mean, what's involved? Is it, is it relatively straightforward? Is it something that can be done in-house?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So all general practitioners will be familiar with this and will do it on a regular basis. So these are little paper strips which are used to measure tear production in millimetres per minute. Some have a blue dye in them to make it easier to, to read uh, and they have a, a notch typically which is folded And then inserted just under the lower eyelid laterally so to avoid being between the lower eyelid and the third eyelid so that the paper can come into direct contact with the cornea and as it does so then it stimulates reflex tear production and the standard schirmer tear test reading is going to measure both the reflex tear production from that irritation and also the basal uh, production as well and what we're looking for really in a normal dog is a reading of around 50 millimetres per minute at least and preferably higher and when we get into the 10 to 15 we're in a bit of a grey zone and perhaps we have early KCS and if we have less than a reading of 10 then that would be diagnostic of dry eye disease and obviously there might be various other reasons why the eye might be dry for example you know drugs or general malaise so you have to take any factors like that into account when interpreting um, those readings.
0: Are there any other types of tests you could use? The Shermier
1: test is is the most commonly used. There's also a test called the phenol red thread test, which is like putting a, a, a line of cotton in the eye But that's not readily available or often used. Particularly useful in if you were to try to measure the tear production of a very small species, for example, birds and small rodents and and things like that. So if you're particularly into your exotics ophthalmology, perhaps you would do that. The probably the most useful test is just a, a decent clinical examination. So in referral practice, we'd use something called a slit lamp biomicroscope, so we could really assess the ocular surface. With illumination and magnification in detail for some of the clinical signs associated with the KCS, the disease of the conjunctiva and the cornea, as I mentioned, but not only those, but also the eyelids as well, because the eyelids are involved in tear production as well. So, checking eyelid disease, in particular disease of the meibomian glands, is important as well. Other diagnostic Things which can be used. So, fluorescein testing can help to understand mm-hmm. the stability of the tear film. And then we're talking more about qualitative dry eye. So, when we're we're not um, concerned as much about the volume of tears which are depleted, but the quality of those tears. So that is something that can be used as well. And also, one of the signs associated with KCS can be corneal ulcerations, which the fluorescein dye test is very useful for as well. Mm.
0: So. You mentioned earlier there's certain causes of KCS and and drug related. Can you, are there any other causes of KCS?
1: So that by far the most common cause of KCS is immune mediated. So when the body's own immune systems is attacking the lacrimal glands, which uh, produce the uh, vast majority of the tears of the um, of the o- ocular surface. So we've got the lacrimal gland and the nictitans gland, which produce The aqueous layer of the tear film, the the, Mm -hmm. the vast bulk of it and immune mediated destruction of these glands associated with loss of the aqueous portion of the tear film and dry eyes. That's by far the most common and that immune mediated destruction seems to be breed related. So that's why we see it more common in some breeds. Other causes, I mentioned drug toxicities or or just side effects of drugs. So the toxicities include things like the sulfonamides being used systemically and also anesthetic drugs will cause transient decreases in in tear production and things like atropine as well, either topically or or systemically. Is
0: is that breed specific as well or can that occur in, in any dog? The
1: the anaesthetic drugs and is in particular can can affect any breed. It's not breed specific at all. There may well be some breed sensitivities to some of the more specific drug reactions, the idiosyncratic toxicities, but they're they're not well established and neither is the mechanism of those toxicities.
0: So so coming back to some of the treatment options, maybe you could run through some of the treatment options for those different types of KCS that we've we've just discussed.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, um, you hit the nail on the head, the treatment the appropriate treatment will vary depending on on the cause so i've touched on some of the causes and not all of them you know there's also congenital dry eye as well, which can be breed specific or even specifically genetic if there's a known genetic cause and neurogenic is one we 've not mentioned as well when there is a damage to the uh, the nervous supply to the tear producing glands, usually it's the you know, parasympathetic supply to the glands as well so for Congenital case, yes then options are limited to lubrication and probably parotid duct transposition when the animals are a bit older, potentially. But it is very, very difficult when you have a dog born with a congenital, you know, a lacryma. So There's going
0: to be lifelong treatment then for that one. Potentially,
1: but it also, it By the time the animal is old enough to have maybe surgery, it might be too late because of the, the side effects of having KCS may have caused blindness or loss of the eye already by that stage. Lubrication is probably going to be the mainstay for lubrication should make things more comfortable and and improve vision because the tear film although it keeps the eye nice and moist and comfortable is actually very important also for good vision so if you have a disrupted tear film you can't see very well Mm -hmm. Uh, so you need a good quality tear film to to see so if you're actually treating that with lubrication that that should help and not only with vision but also improve comfort so then the other causes neurogenic case yes it a specific treatment for that cause pilocarpine um, systemically or, or mm-hmm. topically have been tried with mixed mix success. Some respond and some don't. And all the while, in all cases, sort of KCS, you need to be using the lubrication. So that's kind of a mainstay yeah. as well. I should just mention that now. Neurogenic KCS can self-resolve as well. So it's all, often hard to know whether they're actually responding to the treatment or if they're just resolving anyway. So if you do think they re- respond to the treatment or they, they just uh, improve, then you might be able to get them off the specific, i.e. pylocarpine. It's not necessarily a life form, which is important because pylocarpine in particular can have some nasty side effects, in particular gastrointestinal uh, um, disturbance, because it's a cholinergic drug at the end of the day.
0: Is there a chance that could reoccur so the dog gets a problem back in later life?
1: I guess theoretically so. It's not something that's particularly recognized uh, and I don't I haven't seen a case of you know relapsing neurogenic drive before so it's not something that I'm particularly aware of being an issue uh-huh. so the most common cause of dry I mentioned is the immune media mm-hmm. one which is seen with higher prevalence in certain breeds which you know, anyone in primary care practice be aware of so Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, West Highland White Terriers, Shih Tzus, Lhasa Apsos, Pugs. All, all of those but can occur in any breed apart from lubrication which i mentioned is going to be part, of, of any dry eye for obvious reasons mm-hmm. specific treatment will be to combat that immune destruction uh, of the lacrimal tissue and uh, the most common drug is cyclosporine a, uh, to do that so it's a, a lacrimal stimulant it's from a class of drugs um, called calcineurin inhibitors uh, and basically what that is working to do is stop that t-cell mediated destruction of the lacrimal tissue there are also other ways that these drugs work which aren't always fully understood so that they, mm-hmm. they can improve tear production in, in numerous ways but that's kind of thought as being the main one so cyclosporine a and commercially that's available as optimunes as a 0.2 percent product so it's an ointment it's license for laser. use it's authorized for use in dogs for dry eye but also Mm -hmm. for chronic superficial keratitis otherwise known as pannus so that would be your first treatment your first line treatment for a case of immune mediated dry eye and uh, that has really been you know I, i i don't even know when that drug started being used probably the late 80s or early 90s for example but surgery protoduct transposition in which where we move the salivary one of the salivary ducts from the mouth to the eye used to be a really common surgery for ophthalmologists in the 70s and 80s used to account for maybe the treatment of 15% of cases thereabouts and that really dropped since drugs like cyclosporine have come along and and we operate um, probably less than than 1% of cases these days
0: are there cases where dogs just don't respond to that at all?
1: Yeah, there are. And so if it's an immune-mediated disease, then the chances of responding are going to drop off depending how long the problem's been going on for. Because mm-hmm. these drugs are working on... They require functional lacrimal tissue to work. So they are upregulating okay. functional lacrimal tissue. So if things have gone too far and there's none of that left, then they're not got going to work. However, okay. there are cases where the cyclosporin does not appear potent enough to okay. have an effect or perhaps other drugs are working in a very slightly different mechanism. But generally drugs, calcineurin inhibitors, they work in a very similar way. So the next, the second line treatment would be a drug called tacrolimus, um, which preferentially should be compounded. As an ophthalmic formulation and weight for weight that drug is a hundred times more potent than cyclosporin. it's quite common for animals that don't respond to say Optimune the commercially available authorized product to then respond to tacrolimus which was said is, is usually compounded usually usually by a, a professional uh, pharmacy but some people do compound it in-house as well
0: are there situations where you might Jump to tacrolimus first rather than using optamine are there situations where you look at the animal and go do you know what with my clinical experience I know this is not going to work so therefore I'm going to jump straight to tacrolimus.
1: It, it's um, tempting to do that, but by the cascade, we should be using authorised drugs first, really. So I, I, I would go with cyclosporin as a first line. I mean, in a referral setting, then they've usually already tried cyclosporin, for example, and, and not responded. And it could take it can take six to eight weeks to respond. But you're absolutely right. Experience of someone who, who sees a lot of cases, you often do have an inkling for those ones which aren't going to respond. But mm-hmm. we have to go by the cascade and we have to use the authorised products first, really. I would suggest we try Optimune for at least six to eight weeks to be sure it's not responding before, before I'm ditching it and then going on to tacrolimus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Are, there, are there any other options for those? We've talked about Optimune, tacrolimus. Is there anything else available for those cases?
1: There are other drugs in in a similar kind of group out there. I don't think they're particularly Accessible and it's very rare. I think if an animal wasn't going to respond to tacrolimus, then it's unlikely to respond to another immunomodulator. Obviously, you can play around with thinking is there a neurogenic component to this? So maybe you would consider trying pilocarpine if if the animal had a a zero tier production. Those animals with neurogenic dry do tend to present in a typical way, it's very sudden onset. Dry eye, and often they will have dry nares as well, because the same the same network of glands are affected by the branch of the parasympathetic nervous system and the nasal glands as well by by those branches. Pilocarpine is another drug that you could potentially try, but if you 've tried that and you tried tacrolimus, which would be the one to try as your second line following. Optimum, then you're probably talking about protoducts transposition. And when I say not responding, I suppose we have to define that in a way, really, because it could be that they respond to a degree which is not ideal but it's satisfactory and what I mean by satisfactory is the eyes are comfortable we haven't got progressive corneal disease and we've we've got um, useful vision and that usually equates to being at least five millimeters of tear production on your your test but if we're getting below fives and those signs discomfort and vision disturbance chronic opacification of the cornea and developing Mm -hmm then that's when we might need to think about doing surgery 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 really is a last resort when all medication um um, fails
0: and following surgery what's the long-term life of that dog is it going to function quite happily for the rest of its life or are you still going to have a degree of management there
1: there's always going to be a degree of management with these surgical cases, and if there wasn't, if everything was, you know, rosy, then we'll go for the surgery you know, <laughs> early, earlier on. Yeah. Um, so, first thing to say is that we can't predict how well the surgery is going to work for sure it could be that not enough saliva is produced mm-hmm. uh, more commonly than not it's the other way around we get too much and we get a wet, wet <laughs> flooding,
0: <face>. flooding eye <laughs> exactly
1: and owners need to be aware that they need to you know, keep the face clean and dry because we can get things like secondary dermatitis yeah you know, mm-hmm. but probably the most common complication following surgery is um is deposition of mineral salts on the oculus surface which can be irritating because the uh, the components of saliva are not the same uh, as tears we've got more calcium and other minerals hanging about in saliva and they that can be irritating and, and cause issues some ongoing lubrication may well well be required and it might even be necessary to continue using cyclosporine or, or okay. tacrolimus not from its their benefits in upregulating production of tears because we've already said that that's not really working but they mm-hmm. also have other beneficial effects as well so they can help keep the cornea clear and free of those opacifications so the scarring and the neovascularization the blood vessels and the pigmentation as well i do have patients that have had surgery and that's that's done well that's improve the overall health and surface of the eye but perhaps they've still got you know chronic pigmentation from the disease that's been going on for years and they can still benefit from some of those other uh, beneficial effects of those drugs as as tacrolimus uh, uh, and cyclosporin have
0: so i think starting to to round round this chat up what advice would you give generally to an owner for management short-term long-term so they're, they're just on on the drug Are they going to be on it long term? What other bits of information would you be giving to that owner?
1: I think it's important to make them aware that, you know, I imagine we're talking about immune mediated dry specifically, that this is a lifelong condition. And without treatment, then the animal risks losing vision and also Mm -hmm. losing the eyes if severe complications develop, like a nasty ulcer, which led to a perforation. I think for some owners, you need to be a bit sort of blunt in that, so they understand the seriousness of it, because you do get owners who maybe don't quite understand the severity of the situation or the potential. So it's going to be a lifelong um, treatment, a lifelong problem, which is not going to resolve. And there may be a point that, even if the initial response to treatment is good and it becomes less favourable and other things need to be done, other drugs use, perhaps even surgery. Mm-hmm. And not only is lifelong treatment going to be required but lifelong monitoring by the vet in primary practice is going to be required and the frequency of those revisits is going to depend on the case okay. um, obviously initially once you're treating a case you're going to be seeing that more frequently until you, you get onto a medication regime which suits the patient and keeps it stable then once you settle d- down then you might be seeing the patient maybe twice a year long term and all the while when you see these patients back you're obviously going to be repeating a tear uh, test results but you're also going to be looking out for some other other signs particular signs of, of corneal disease mm-hmm. and also it's a real it's a real undertaking for owners as well it's a bit like having a diabetic dog in a way because you it's Huge really constant well costs are one things is one thing but it's more the commitment of the owner to apply medications and if you're mm-hmm. lucky all you need is something like Optimune or Tacrolimus twice a day then that's not too bad. But if they're only partial responders and they also need regular lubrication as well, you might have a patient that needs to receive medications six plus times a day, which wow. is not something that's going to be very straightforward for a lot of owners. So you really hope they're going to respond to the drugs and that's going to see them through. But there are some very committed owners out there and uh, people with dry eye, you know, they are, are often putting drops in their own eyes every hour or mm-hmm. something, something like that. And we don't do that to dogs, but there are some very committed owners who We'll be prepared to even do it that frequently throughout throughout the day, but they are quite few and, and, and far between. So it is a bit of a, uh, is a big commitment and it's not a course of treatment. You, you do get cases that they go away with the tube of opt- Optimune. And, and you never see them again. For about four years. And uh, you know, <laughs> I use the tube up and, you know, expected that to, to sort the problem out, but sure. <laughs> obviously it doesn't. And, and that does sadly happen. So Compliance
0: is a bit of an issue with this it, one. Then. <laughs>
1: it can be sometimes. Yeah.
0: I think that, the million dollar question here at the end is, can KCS be prevented in in the first instance? Is there advice out there for owners with these breeds for general cases of KCS? Can it be prevented?
1: KCS cannot be prevented in an individual dog, mm-hmm. uh, but it can be treated potentially earlier in some cases, just by earlier diagnosis. Okay. So earlier diagnosis, so dogs which has have recurrent conjunctivitis or corneal ulcers, and perhaps the primary care vet hasn't taken uh Sherman tear test reading needs to do that. So understand mm-hmm. that there's a reason. And also it can be occasionally the diagnosis can be confusing. So if the animal presents with an ulcer, it's going to be painful and mm-hmm. therefore it's going to upregulate its tear production in that situation. So you could measure the tear production and get almost a false Normal reading. Whereas if you remeasure that dog once you've got that ulcer to heal, then you might actually then get a definitive diagnosis. So actually checking their Sherman readings once the eyes are settled down and and I'm more comfy, it, it's going to be very useful to, to do that as well. The only way of preventing uh, it developing an individual dog would be you know to stop breeding dogs which which get this, and that's not straightforward because most animals get KCS. This is breed associated, but we don't know the gene or genes which are causing it there is only one exception which is the cavalier king charles spaniel which gets this weird syndrome called theosiform dermatosis and i'm i'm amazed i managed to say that right, <laughs> uh, <that's, laughs> All right try yeah, it. <laughs> it's a curly coat and dry eye syndrome and they get they're born with bad uh, coats curly dry coats and nail problems and, and, and foot pad problems and dry eye as well. And there is a DNA test for this, for example. And so you could prevent dogs breeding who carry the bad gene and yeah. pass it on to, to their offspring. But that's really the only, the, the only example I can think of where you can prevent KCS developing, and also avoiding drugs which are known to be toxic. But for the immune-mediated general ones, the Westies and the Cavalier King Charles that we come and see, and there isn't a, isn't a way to prevent it, but early diagnosis is key. To getting a better response to treatment.
0: Are you as a specialist, do you see more of these cases come through your door now? Is it more common or is it more common from a point of view that pet owners are more aware and they're paying more attention to their animals?
1: As, as a specialist, I would say over the years we see increasingly fewer referrals of dry eye because they're it's a, it's generally well taken care of in, in, in primary care practice. Vet, mm-hmm. primary care vets are very switched on and so they they are more than capable of making the diagnosis themselves the cases that we do get referred to are the tricky cases which don't respond or need to have surgery, surgery. To respond to medications we used to get quite and we still get a, a reasonable number of cases referred because they just don't respond to the first line drug optimmune and people in perhaps primary care practice have had difficulties accessing tacrolimus. But there's been more CPD going on over recent years and more primary care practices are sourcing tacrolimus from professional compounders themselves or making it in-house. For example, some even use a dermatological skin ointment, which I, I don't particularly use they do have better access to the second line treatments in primary care practice these days. The ones that we really see being referred are the really horrible cases which don't respond to the standard sequence of drugs and probably end up needing to go and have protoduct transposition surgery.
0: So I think to round up, I think the take-home message is fairly clear for this one. It's test and test again, isn't it really? So are there any other take-home messages you want to to give us?
1: I think the thing that is really. I Probably just the other take and measure we, don't, we talked about it is lubrication and we often get asked what, what the best lubrications are and that will vary depending on the case to some extent and also owner compliance and what they, they can cope with. But personally and in our, in our referral uh, service, we do like the ones which contain sodium hyaluronate the best. There are quite a lot of products on the market, I'm not going to name specific ones, <laughs> but, um, but those probably are probably the ones which are uh, seem to improve the quality of the tier film the best and also seem to require a modest frequency of application which is doable for most our owners.
0: Brilliant well James thank you it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and I've, I've certainly learned something about KCS and I'm still not going to try and pronounce it.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm you're mine.
0: <laughs> thank you very much and hopefully we'll have you back on a podcast again soon maybe talking about a different topic and uh, we we can have a chat about that at another time and uh, thank you very much
1: look forward to it and thank you lizzie
0: these podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses if you're listening as a pet owner then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon